Hey, to all the real estate professionals out there, I want to let you know The Buyer's Mind is sponsored by Homebridge Financial. Homebridge loan officers are experts in new home financing, and they bring sales ideas and strategies and market intelligence and programs that will help sell homes. To learn more about that, go to builder.homebridge.com. Homebridge Financial, home financing made easy. Let me ask you, how distracted are you? How distractible are you? And how would you like to become indistractable? Let's talk about it today on The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Well, greetings, everyone. Once again, to another episode of The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore. This is the podcast where we want to help sales professionals to be better at what it is that they do in all different ways. We talk a lot about what goes on in the mind of our customers. Today, we're going to talk about what goes on in the mind of salespeople and what sometimes prevents us from being as productive as we could be. And I think it's not just about sales. It's about life in general, as you'll hear from our guest here in just a little bit. And and specifically, we're going to get into the idea of what it means to be uh, uh, to be totally focused in on what's going on around us. It, the irony, I'm laughing myself right here, because even just now as I'm recording this, I had a little message pop up on my computer. Uh, somebody's just sent me an instant message, but it popped up and went away on the computer. And I lost my train of thought for just a moment. Completely ironic, given today that we're going to talk today about distractions and the way that we uh, find ourselves to be distracted. Joined, as always, by our show producer, Paul Murphy. Murph, do you find yourself, is, is this a problem for you? Do you get easily distracted? Or are you, are you the type of person that feels like, no, no, once I get my my head on something i can i can stay with it pretty pretty strongly it's really hard i have to be honest uh you know we, we as a company function on slack and so there are little pop-ups that happen here and there and so when i'm in the midst of even just trying to edit this podcast uh it's so easy just to be pulled out of the focus of what i'm supposed to be doing onto little little things little messages and everything seems like it could be important like it's you know i don't want to miss something as we go through but murph we've talked about it in the past right it usually means you're not doing your best work when you're trying to trying to think about a lot of different things at the same time right Absolutely, you know, uh, and so that that becomes the problem. Where if I if I had a chance to just focus on what it is that needs to get done, I'd probably actually get through it a lot faster. But because right. I keep letting my focus go, it takes forever. Yeah, that's a real issue. When we get constantly interrupted, and then we go back to a task, we don't calculate the ramp up time that it takes to get back into that task uh, once again. And so uh, it's problematic uh, for a lot of reasons, but certainly uh, uh, one of the chief reasons is the fact that it keeps us from being as productive as we can be. And so today we're going to have back on the show uh, near AL. We had him on before, uh, but he's got a book out called Indistractable. But what we can do. Uh, to try to uh, deal with our tendency towards distraction so that we can do our best work. Uh, he's a fascinating speaker, an absolute expert on the subject. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Nir Eyal. Well, we're thrilled to have back on the buyer's mind, Nir Eyal. Uh, he is the author of a couple of books. We had him on the podcast before to talk about his book, 
hooked about how we build habit-forming products. He's a behavioralist, really interesting guy, speaker, author. You can read his stuff at nearandfar.com, N-I-R and far.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Kind of a smart guy as well. And anytime you get the Stanford MBAs, uh, uh, watch out. Uh, and uh, just a really, really uh, fun conversation. But today we're going to be talking about his new book, Indistractable. Please welcome back to the buyer's mind, Nir Ayal. Nir, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me back. I, I want to just sort of dive right in because there's just so much uh, content here to be able to go over. Of course, our audience is largely sales focused. And uh, when you think salespeople, you don't generally associate that with long attention spans anyway. <laughs> so the subject matter of being easily distracted, as is, by the way, your host, uh, is got to be something that uh, would be relevant to our audience. But I'm guessing you didn't just write this book because you thought it was interesting. I, I'm guessing that you wrote this book because you suspected that there was a real need for people who were struggling in these areas. Well, I'll be honest with you. I wrote the book for a very selfish reason, and that was for me. Okay, <laughs> that, that, that I, Despite understanding how technology products are designed to hook us, that was, of course, the title of my first book, Hooked, mm -hmm. uh, I found that I was getting distracted, and it had a pretty profound impact on my day-to-day -day life, whether it was with my daughter. I would find myself you know, with my daughter, and, and instead of being fully present with someone I love very much, I would be on my phone. Uh, when it came to my work, I would sit down on my desk to, you know, work on a difficult project. I know many salespeople out there, you know, I, I used to be in sales, making those sales calls every day, sometimes not that fun. Sometimes you mm -hmm. don't really want to do it. And so you check email for a little bit, or you go on a Slack channel, or you check the news, or you check Facebook for a little bit. And I was definitely guilty of that. Uh, and then when it came to my physical health, you know, I, I, I was frustrated that day after day, I knew what I was supposed to do. I, I wanted to go to the gym. I knew I, right. that was important. I wanted to eat healthfully. Uh, and yet I wasn't doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered to myself, you know, wow, if I could have any superpower, the superpower I would want, the superpower that I think is the skill of this century is the power to be indistractable, to simply do what you say you're going to do. I think that is such an important skill. It's a skill of the century because the fact of the matter is, we all basically know what to do, right? We, we all have access to Google. Who doesn't basically know how to drive up more business, how to live healthier, how to have better relationships? It's all there. There's no information gap anymore. Uh, what, what's missing is that we don't have an understanding of how to stop getting distracted. We have to remember that living the kind of life you want is not just about doing the right things. It's also making sure you don't do the wrong things. And so we have to understand how do we stop getting distracted if we're going to kind of live the kind of lives we know we deserve. That leads to a difficult question. We're going to dive in deep here right from the very beginning, because when you think about it, we have to, we basically know what we need to do. We've got to figure out how not to be distracted. You're almost looking at it as, as if the distraction itself, the shiny object that is out there is um, the culprit, and we are just sort of victims of that crime, where in reality, it might just look and say, I want to be distracted. How much of this is our attention to shiny objects versus the fact that I just don't want to do this very much right now? Yeah, so you have stumbled uh, on the the crux of the discovery I made over the past five years, I should have just called you actually. Why, why did I spend all this time researching this? Uh, that, that fundamentally distraction, procrastination is a problem of emotion regulation. 
That is really what this is all about. That let, let's start by understanding what is distraction. So the best way to understand distraction is to understand what is the opposite of distraction. The opposite of distraction, think for a minute, most people will say it's focus, but it's mm -hmm. actually not. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That if you look at the, the, the source of both words, they come from the Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. Mm -hmm. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, anything that pulls you away from what you plan to do with intent. So this is really important for two reasons. One, anything can be a distraction. So if you sit down at your desk and you say, oh, I got to make those sales calls, or I got to work on that big project, or I got to put together my numbers. And here I go, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to stop procrastinating. Here I go. But let me just check email real quick. Right? You, you think that's a productive task. You fool mm -hmm. yourself. You let distraction fool you into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. And that is toxic death for your productivity, for your mm -hmm. livelihood, for your sense of well-being. When you let distraction fool you into thinking it is something you should be doing. And so anything can be a distraction and conversely, anything can be traction. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with watching the big game on TV. There's nothing wrong with Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. None of these technologies are evil and don't let anybody tell you different. As long as you use them on your schedule and according to your values, not someone else's, not some big tech company, not some app maker's values, your schedule, your values. And so now that we understand the difference between traction and distraction, the next logical question is, well, what drives these actions? What prompts us towards traction or distraction? And we have two things. We have what we call external triggers. These are the pings, the dings, the rings, all these things in our environment that lead us towards traction or distraction. And that's what people tend to blame, right? They blame their iPhone. They blame Facebook. They blame the TV. They blame their boss. They blame the coworker. Something distracted them. But those are things all outside of us. Turns out what the research reveals is that most distraction is not triggered by what is outside of us, but rather what occurs from within. And what occurs from within are what we call these internal triggers. Internal triggers are these uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. That if we're going to answer this question of why do we get distracted? Why do we do things despite the fact that we know we shouldn't, right? Why, or why do we not do the things we know we should? We have to ask ourselves a deeper question, which is what's the nature of human motivation? Why do we do what we do? And it turns out a lot of people misunderstand what really drives people. Most people think it's about carrots and sticks. We've all heard this, right? That it's about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. Freud said something similar. He called it the pleasure principle. Turns out neurologically, it's not true. That we do not do things for the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. The reason we do things, we do things for only one reason. And that reason is the desire to escape discomfort. That's it. Everything you do. If you think about this physiologically, it makes complete common sense. If you go outside and it's cold, your brain says, this is uncomfortable, put on a coat. If you go back inside, now it's too hot, your brain says, this is uncomfortable, take your coat off. And so this is called the homeostatic response. And it's pretty obvious when it comes to our physiological actions. But it turns out the same rule holds true for our psychologically spurred actions. So when you're lonely, 
check Facebook. When you're uncertain, Google. When you're bored, check sports scores, check the stock prices, check Reddit, Pinterest, the news. My goodness, how much time, how many times do we check the news because we actually think we can learn something from it or because we're by learning about somebody else's problems, we can escape our own. This is the hard truth that we have to understand that if all human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort, what this means, my friends, is that time management is pain management. That no productivity hack, no guru's book is going to work for you unless first and foremost, you understand why you are looking for escape from discomfort and either deal with that problem or learn tactics to cope with it in a healthy manner that leads to traction rather than distraction. All right, let's unpack here because there's just a, a lot that just got brought up. And, and I got to tell you, I love this conversation. I, I wrote a book six years ago about boldness in sales, and it has everything to do with discomfort and what I call comfort addictions that salespeople have that keep them from really being all that they could be. Just to go back and unpack something you said here, you know, I, I need to do this, but boy, I, I, there's this over here and there's that over here. The, I think part of the problem is that when I think about all these distractions, the easy thing to look at is to say, well, you know, Candy Crush is a distraction or, you know, mindless time on the Internet is a distraction if, if I let it be. But that's not what you're talking about. There, there could be benefits to some of these things. And it falls into that category of saying, well, is there any benefit versus is there the greatest benefit? Is there any benefit to me checking social media? Well, yeah, I suppose there could be. You know, yeah. Stay on top of friends and whatever is going on. But is that my greatest benefit at the time? And that's usually not the question that we ask. Are we on the same page so far? Here's the thing. I think that anything that you plan to do is traction. Mm -hmm. So in my life, you know, this, again, I wrote the book for me more than anyone else. And I wrote this book because I was struggling with distraction in a big way. And so what I found was that if I planned for these otherwise distractions, I could turn them into traction. So as opposed to checking Facebook and Instagram or email or TV or whatever might distract you, whenever you feel like it, you use these things when you plan on it. Remember, the time you plan to waste is not wasted time. And the big irony here is that many people use these diversions. There's a big difference between a diversion and a distraction. A diversion can be healthy, right? A diversion diverts your attention. If you go to see a movie, that's a pleasant diversion. Yeah, you're getting out of your head. You're escaping reality. You're enjoying the storyline. That's a healthy diversion. There's nothing wrong with it. But that's not a distraction because you plan to go to the movies. So the irony here is that many of us, when we, even when we think we are uh, enjoying our leisure time, right? We come home from work and we say, oh, I'm so tired. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to watch something on Netflix. I'm going to just play with my kids. I'm just going to take it easy. In the back of our heads are all the things we didn't do, all the uncompleted to-dos on our to-do list. And we can't even enjoy our time because our brain is halfway at work or halfway on social media or thinking about the news or thinking about this or thinking about that. And we can't fully enjoy what we're doing in that moment. So this is why in large part I advise against to-do lists. And I know this is, this is uh, uh, killing some sacred cows here because I know we've all been told, Hey, to get things done, just put it on a to-do list mm -hmm. for most people to-do lists actually backfire to-do lists reinforce your identity of being someone who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. And this is mm -hmm. what I experience every day. I would have this big long to-do list. 
And half of the things on my to-do list would not get done, right? I'd just recycle them from one day to the next to the next. And so what was I doing? I was reinforcing my, my identity that yet again, another day went by and you didn't do what you say you're going to do. Loser. And so that's why to-do lists tend to backfire because you, if you're not planning out when you want to do these things, if you don't have time specifically on your calendar for when you're going to accomplish these tasks and live out the values that you want to live out, they don't get done. You know, it's interesting uh, when you look at Dan Sullivan, the, the founder of Strategic Coach, he, he looks at it, he says, uh, you have 20 things on your list, you get five done, you feel like a loser. But his, yeah. he lives up by a philosophy of saying, uh, why lose a game when you get to write the rules? So That's every day exactly he just right. puts three things on his list. If he gets five things, he, it was bonus time. But if he's only putting three things on the list, it means he's putting things that are going to be pretty darn important by the time he's done. And I just love the the way to be able to approach that. But this leads to this discussion, and it's I, I've been reading more and more about this recently. This idea of yeah, I, I think I think some call it time stamping. It's a fancy way of saying take what's on your to do list and give it a specific time that you're actually going to do it, and then don't. Now it's a calendar appointment. Does that satisfy what you were just bringing up right there? Yeah. So it turns out thousands of studies have found that this technique. It's called making an implementation intention, which is just a fancy way that psychologists call planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. Because mm -hmm. here's the thing: I want everyone to remember. Write this down if you can. You cannot call something a distraction if you don't know what it distracted you from. Okay, this, 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 this should be an eye opener for people. If your schedule is just open with lots of white space and a dentist appointment or a meeting doesn't count. <laughs> if you've got lots of white space in your calendar, I don't want to hear you complaining about getting distracted because what did you get distracted from? Everything is a distraction unless you plan what you wanted to do. So I'm actually going to give you a link in, uh, for the show notes. I built this free online tool. Anyone can use it. You don't have to sign up for anything. It's, you know, you don't even have to give me your email. It's completely free. And I built this very easy tool to allow people to decide how they want to spend their time based on their values. Okay, we, we do what we call turning our values into time. So, you know, many of us talk a good game when you say, oh, what are your values? Oh, I value my physical health. Uh, it's important that I have time for prayer. It's important that I have time with my kids, my relationships, my family. But then when I say, well, where is that time on your schedule? Are you surprised you don't get it done if it's not planned for? Of course not. It's not going to happen unless we plan for these things. And so that's what make time for traction is all about. So that's step two. Step one is master the internal triggers. Step two is make time for traction. You know, I, I was recently studying uh, something called the Zagarnik effect that, that suggests mm. that our brains constantly nag us about undone tasks, but there's mm -hmm. no rhythm to that nagging. It just pops into our mind. And when that happens, it, it stresses us out. It robs us of creative energy that we really need because usually it pops up when we can't do anything about it. But when the task is handled, it immediately clears up mental bandwidth. The, the hack here is that if you assign a specific time to it, the brain says, okay, now it's handled and I don't have to think about it anymore. But I, I think everybody listening right now can associate with what it's like uh, to, to not have that intentionality of assigned time. And then something pops up just when we don't want it to pop up. Because as David Allen said back in the 1980s, I think when he wrote Getting Things Done, the brain is a horrible place to keep a to-do list. 
Right, right. And I would argue even a to-do list is a horrible place to keep a to-do list. (laughs) (laughs) It really needs to be in your calendar because of exactly what you said. Because even when we say, I'm just going to relax and watch a Netflix movie, you can't even relax and do that properly because your brain is still thinking about the undone task on your to-do list. Right. So I I actually take issue with some of David Allen's methodology. Mm -hmm. I think he's really helped the field. But fundamentally, I think the thing missing is number one, None of these techniques will work if you don't first start with the internal triggers, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Nothing I tell you after that first step will work because you can put these techniques into practice, but these are just tactics. They're not Mm -hmm. strategies. You know, tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. And you have to understand that if you are desperately seeking an uncomfortable emotion, your brain will find a way to get you to procrastinate. You have to disable that ticking time bomb of what it is you're looking to escape from on an emotional basis. And that's the icky sticky truth that people would rather scroll away or click away or drink away to avoid having to deal with. When I'm looking at this and and how we put that into action, because it's, it's making... This, this actually brings up a great point, by the way. I don't know if you know this, because your urge to cough... You can't, you could not control the urge to cough. Okay. Just like you can't control the urge to sneeze or any of our feelings, our feelings, these uncomfortable internal triggers, you, you do not have control over how you feel. What you have is control for how you respond to those urges, how you respond to those feelings. So, you know, are you the kind of person that covers their mouth when they sneeze or cough? Are you the kind of person who sneezes all over everyone and gets everyone sick? And so the same can be said of our emotions. It's not your fault that all these distractions exist. You didn't invent email. You didn't invent Facebook. You didn't invent ESPN, right? You didn't invent these things. They're not your fault, but they are your responsibility because you have the power to decide how you respond to those internal triggers that can lead you towards these distractions. And you use the word reimagining a a lot, several chapters on reimagining. Can you get into that a little bit about how we reimagine our triggers, our tasks, our temperament? Sure. Yeah. So this is the three pillars for how we master our internal triggers. First, we reimagine the internal trigger itself. We see that internal trigger differently so that we can respond to it in a more healthful way. Then we can reimagine the task. Uh, so how do we see what we are doing differently? In a way, I, I quote research from Ian Bogos, who ta- teaches us how to play anything, uh, not in the Mary Poppins way of adding a spoonful of sugar to the task, but actually there are some techniques that you can use that makes any task task into play. Even when it's more part of the surprises I had in, in doing this research is that, do you know, play doesn't actually need to be fun, believe it or not, that you can turn a task into play without necessarily making it enjoyable. And this is this amazing trick that you can use to help divert our attention while we are working on something that would otherwise be difficult. And so that's incredibly helpful to anyone who's doing a task that, you know, it's just a tough task for them to do. The mm-hmm. third thing that we can do is to reimagine our temperament. And this is a big one. So it turns out that there are a lot of myths that people carry around about who they are around their self-image. I'm lazy or I have a short attention span. Uh, I, this is my Myers-Briggs type and I can't be anything else. I'm a morning person. I'm a night person. We carry around all of these things that may or may not be true and may or may not actually serve us. And so what I want people to do is to challenge to ask themselves whether their temperament, their perception of who they are or what they are is one, is it true? Is it really true? And two, is it serving you? One of the most prevalent myths out there these days uh, is, is called ego depletion. This is what psychologists call it. Ego depletion is this idea 
that willpower is a depletable resource, that you run out of willpower like you run out of gas in a gas tank. And uh, there were a few books written about this. Uh, there was a, one pr prominent researcher that did these studies that found that, oh, you know what? Willpower really does run out like gas in a gas tank. And to bring this home, you know, I would do this all the time. I would come home from work and say, oh, I feel spent. I'm just, you know, I've got nothing left. Give me that pint of Ben and Jerry's. I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to watch TV for a few hours. And so I was, I was embodying this, this belief that my willpower had been depleted. Turns out the studies were a little fishy and they tried to replicate these studies. Other psychologists tried to replicate these studies and they found that ego depletion, not so much, doesn't really exist. The studies could not be replicated except in one group of people, that there was one group of people who really did run out of willpower like gas in a gas tank. And those people and only those people were people who believed that willpower was a depletable resource. Okay. That their belief of their own self-image, of their temperament, of their abilities made it true as a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we see this today when people talk about how distracting technology is and how it's hijacking our brains and it's addicting everyone. BS. It's not true unless you believe it's true. We're just about out of time here. Let me ask you, how would you approach this subject if you were talking to a group of junior high students right now? Junior high students. Well, this this is may not be a topic that we can uh, we can we can compress into a few minutes because yeah. uh, this is a really important one actually. So half the book is about what you can do to become indistractable, and we only touch the tip of the iceberg. You know, step one right. is master internal triggers. Step two is make time for traction. We didn't talk about step three is hacking back the external triggers, and right. step four is preventing distraction with packs. So half yeah. the book is about what you can do as an individual. The other half of the book is about the various environments we work in. So mm -hmm. how do you build an indistractable workplace? If you work in a place that is very distractible, that's something that's bigger than you are. How can you change the workplace? If you're a manager, of course, you have to read this section because you can actually get more out of your employees, more out of yourself by building an indistractable workplace. And then one whole section is about how to raise indistractable kids. And as the father of an 11 year old, I think that this is the most important chapter of the entire book, because if you think the world is distractible now, Holy cow. Just wait a few years. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the world our kids are going to inherit is only going to become more distractible and more distracting. And the answer, my friends, is not about locking up the technology and saying, never use it again. I'm going to smash your iPad and, and mm -hmm. you know, throw away the Nintendo or whatever. That stuff, that doesn't work. It doesn't work because it doesn't address the root cause of the problem. Back to these internal triggers, there is much more going on. And so if I were to talk, I actually wouldn't be as interested in talking to the, to the kids. I would be much more interested in talking to the kids' parents because it mm -hmm. turns out, and this is hard for me to say, we're a big source of the problem. Yeah, We're a big source of the problem. One, the best thing you can do, if you just want a quick piece of advice as a parent, be indistractable yourself. Mm -hmm. You cannot tell your kids, stop playing Fortnite while you're checking Facebook. It doesn't work that way. Right. Kids are hypocrisy detection devices. They are mm -hmm. constantly scanning to see where are the hypocrites and they want to call you out. So you have to set the example yourself and become indistractable. And then what we have to do as parents is to walk them through these four steps that, that we talked about earlier. We use the same exact methodology to help them learn how to become indistractable. Because remember, we're not raising kids. We are raising future adults. And we, you know, just sell it, telling them, don't use your computer because I say so doesn't fix the problem because it doesn't teach them the skill to become indistractable.
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just it's so interesting and so timely. Just last night, my my daughter and her husband uh, brought over my my little nine month old uh, granddaughter uh, yesterday. We spent the afternoon together and they went for a bike ride. We were, we were watching my granddaughter. And one of the things that my daughter had said was, you know, uh, she has developed a real interest in our smartphone. So, mm. you know, I know if she's cranky or whatever, it's easy just to show her a video and but we're trying to train we're trying to get to the point where that's not what we're teaching her as her comfort right. adv- uh, position, but what they said was very interesting. Suddenly she's really interested in something that we recognize we are really interested in. And so I mm. appreciate so much that they're picking that up, that they're wise mm-hmm. enough to see that at an early age that they are absolutely going to model this. And I think you're right. They they're hypocrisy uh, detectives, they understand that uh, in a hurry. Uh, so mm-hmm. if we can control ourselves, maybe we'll have a better chance of being able to model that for our kids. Love it. Uh, really, really great stuff. Nir, it's uh, so good to have you on the program. The book is called Indistractable. Go to nearandfar.com, uh, N-I-R-A-N-D-F-A-R. We'll put that in the show notes, nearandfar.com. Such an interesting subject matter, and you're going to want this book, not just to read it, but to really live it, just to chop it up and spend some time. It's fascinating. It's way deeper than anything we had time to get into today, but really, really good stuff. Thanks for being on The Buyer's Mind. My pleasure. Thank you so much. So there you go, Murph. Really interesting. Uh, just the, the fundamental premise that we all basically know what to do, but we get so easily distracted. And then the fact that that distraction, which oftentimes comes in the form of procrastination, is about emotional regulation, the regulation of our emotion. I don't know about you, but I'd never really thought about it in those terms. I don't think I had either, but uh, it did resonate with me very much. Uh, I enjoyed what he had to say. Uh, he says that the opposite of distraction is Attraction. Attraction is action that pulls you to what you plan to do. But he went on to look at it and say, you cannot call something a distraction if you don't know what you were being distracted from. In other words, there's an intentionality to traction. We have to have we have to be focused in on what we should be doing in order to get not pulled away. I, I admit, Murph, there are times where I will look at it and say, I'm easily drawn away because perhaps I'm not as fully focused in on what I'm supposed to be doing. Is that just me? It's not just you. Uh, and I think he brought up some good points, too, because it, part of it is personality. Um, mm-hmm. We like David Allen for getting things done, uh, but it doesn't always resonate with everybody. And so I mm-hmm. think the idea of time boxing your schedule and doing those types of things so that you have time set aside for what you need to do and then right. time for the fun things like Facebook and whatnot is right. really important. But it seems to me that for a sales professional, you know, there are parts of our job that are really enjoyable. There are parts of our job that are not as enjoyable. And so when we take those things that we don't really enjoy in the first place, and then we don't give them a specific timestamp to say, this is specifically when this is going to get done, then what happens? We will almost invite distraction. We'll invite the opportunity for something to take us into a different direction. Because at that point, it's far. Uh, it gets to the point where uh, I've got a built-in excuse as to why I don't want to do this thing that I really don't want to do in the first place. In other words, I'm not being honest with myself when I do that. I'm just giving myself a reason. But if we can look at it and say, no, 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 this is when I make my prospecting calls. This is when I do my sales follow-up. This is It's an appointment that we make with ourselves, and we keep it 
as with as much strictness as if it was the owner of the company. And so if I can look at it from that side, then it changes things because now I know it's just look at it this way. Uh, If you were in a meeting with the most important person you can possibly imagine, right? Just, just a a top leader, a, a, a government official or, you know, whatever it is. And there was a lot at stake in the meeting. Would you allow yourself to be distracted by email or text messages or by the squirrel outside in the tree? You wouldn't. If it was something that mattered enough to you, you would not allow yourself to be distracted. So there is that sense of prioritization. What really matters? And when we can think about what we get traction on, the opposite of distraction, when we think about what we can get traction on, we think of those things that really, really matter that's what we pour ourselves into. And I just want to encourage you, sales professionals, right now, look at the things that really matter and get them scheduled. Don't put them on the to-do list without a timestamp on it. Get them on your calendar. Get them on your schedule. Make an appointment to do that with yourself and stick to that appointment because that's what really matters. At the end of the day, we do things that really matter. That's when we have the opportunity to change someone's world. Hey, by the way, before we wrap it up, I've got a new book coming out. It's titled Follow Up and Close the Sale. And in it, I'm going to share with you what you need to know for successful follow-up that's going to benefit you throughout your career. If you want to join the interest list for the book, if you want to stay notified on all things related to follow-up and some value extras that we're going to throw your way, just go to jeffshore.com slash sales follow-up and share your email with us. We'll see you next time. 